Hello and welcome to Art Works in Therapy. This is podcast number five with a very, very, very special guest, Melissa Diaz. Today's date is Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So we have a history. We knew each other. We were in the same class at Pratt. Oh my gosh. So like so many million years ago, but also like so yesterday. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it was 2007 we started. Those years, I think we would take lunch breaks. I remember sitting um, down down from Pratt, Manhattan. We would go to Union Square. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I haven't thought about that in so long and how special it was that when we went to Pratt, they were using both campuses because for the past like 10 years or so, it's just been the Brooklyn campus. And there was something so nice about the separation. The Pratt Creative Arts Therapy Department got a much larger department. Mm. But I feel like didn't have the like warm, cozy feel that ours did. Ours was like very like wooden and old and artwork from a million years ago was there. And we were sitting in little school desks, which is so funny to think about because when I was teaching at Pratt, they're in like huge tables, like really like big design, like studios. Um, So not us like crunched up in these desks that have been there for like 30 years with cats wandering in. The cats weren't allowed to come in um, in the past few years. Um, For those of you who don't know, the Pratt cats, the cats that live on Pratt's campus. The bodega cats uh, phenomena that is so Brooklyn, I love it too. There's just so much about New York. And you and I actually have the Southern kind of uh, background in, in that you're from Florida, I'm from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think we had that connection starting at the program where I think a lot of the, most of the class was Northern based at least mm-hmm. or West Coast, but we had that kinship and- you know, I don't want to neglect the idea too that I skated. I came from a skateboard background slash punk rock, and come to find out, you kind of had a background too, and our interest in galleries and organizing things on mm-hmm. our own. I, yeah. you know, all that kind of plays into the the kind of therapist that we've become. Well, I think you're talking about counterculture, right? And like where we found belonging as young people. And the punk scene was such an alternative space to maybe what happens in high school and the different cliques in high school, where it was really about coming together for music. And there was also a large, like, vegan movement and activism movement and food, not bombs and kind of human rights and straight edge and all of these movements that were kind of a part of not belonging to mainstream culture. And I think Mm -hmm. art therapy still doesn't belong to the kind of mainstream mental um, health <laughs> yeah yeah there's still we're still kind of climbing that I mean I think there's been a lot more recognition and especially being on the professor side getting to see my students have a lot more opportunities than we did but at the same time not enough for the amount of students that graduate there's just not enough jobs for the amount of students graduating from these fields. But I do think there's something to counterculture and like being a little alternative. And I think also the DIY roots of punk rock of like making it your own. And I think that really lends itself to 
the many different placements of a creative arts therapist where you really have to make shift where your get your studio may be like a cart right that you're like rolling to the unit and everything you need lives there and all of a sudden your studio is like the mobile studio because you don't actually have one so I think it gives us kind of a a leg up on being able to improvise based on kind of doing things out of the box, like from our youth. Yeah. I remember sitting on the stairs at the Union Square and you telling me you once had an art show out of a van that was yes. a mobile. <laughs> yes. What yes. was the work in there? I never even knew. Yeah. When I was an undergrad, I was a part of a collective. And I think that really influenced a lot of how I've worked through the years in art therapy and in community practice. And I was in a collective and we just showed wherever we could. We showed in each other's apartments. We showed at cafes. We showed in like a room at the university that turned into a gallery, but then we also showed in a U-Haul. Yeah, your work is interactive. Um, it's installation-based. And the I think that's where I develop kind of the roots of that interactivity and a part of that DIY mentality. And especially with the U-Haul show, getting to drive to different locations and invite people in, right, to have a conversation and almost participate in the exhibition. I think that's always been in my art therapy exhibitions and in my work, like how do we engage as co-creators, right? Not as like the artist and the viewer. What's changed a lot, and I think I it took me a while to allow myself to let my work change by the art therapy work. Like the impact, even of the materials we use in art therapy, like even of the budgets we would have in certain places where you can't get the fine art fancy materials. You're getting what you get. You're really improvising. You're working with scholastic based materials. You're working with model magic and pipe cleaners and tissue paper. And I think all of those things really inspired me when I was ordering or working with materials for um, clients or groups and kind of considering them. Why am I not using these same materials? Why am I, am, Am I like a higher echelon of artists? No. So that really inspired me and also getting to see the playful ability of some of those like more nostalgic child-based materials. So I think art therapy really impacted my work in that it got more interactive and like the visitor is more able to actually like weave into a piece rather than just go into it and hang out. And I think it took me a while to let go. I think there's a huge transition Going from like, you know, figuring out the balance of your artist identity and your art therapy identity. And can you maintain both? And can they both be affected? If there's a gallery, which in that Pratt Manhattan, where there's a big pole in the middle of the room, you're the type of person that integrates that. Like you would make kind of this fabric teepee that you could kind of go in and use the pole. And like one thing that helped me reconcile those identities rather than them being in tension with each other, right? Like the artist self and the therapist self was considering everything as a different body of work. So the mm -hmm. art therapy work that you're doing in a hospital, that's one body of work. The mm -hmm. community work setting up shows is another body of work. My work creating a sculpture is another body of work rather than it being like, oh, this is when I make art. This is when I'm a therapist, kind of thinking of it all as a series and just oh. different bodies of work. And I find that that's been a helpful way to think when I've supervised students who really felt that 
kind of crushing experience that I felt when we were in grad school that we didn't make that much art. So not just a response to an article or a response to a case presentation, but right. dedicated time for your own internal process, which I think is so necessary. And, you know, we just didn't have that then. That just wasn't a part of our program. So I felt a lot of loss about like, oh my God, I thought I was going to be just churning out more work. And I think it took me a while to find that balance of allowing myself to consider that my art didn't stop. It just shifted modalities. What you kind of asked earlier about kind of changes through time. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about like materials and sustainability and recycling and like these different ways that digital work or reusing the same materials or using what might be like a found object or trash, like this idea of kind of sustainability that I think I've kind of had run throughout my work, like trying not to buy new materials. Yeah. I remember our, our teacher that we had in common Arthur Robbins, um, being at his apartment in Manhattan, Upper West Side, he has so many relics around his office area. The one Mm -hmm. I was very fond of, and I think it's in one of the photos that I use for some of his archiving purposes, but it's it's this chain link thing that he made into a sculpture. It's just all Mm -hmm. meshed chain links. Mm -hmm. To piggyback off of kind of talking about Art Robbins and his creations, I think a lot of what he talked about too when he was a child, like really getting in the muck of it, like playing in the dirt and like just really that raw processing. And I think there's something too when we're thinking about identity of the materials, right? And the object and the other and manipulating the other and what we choose to give purpose to or find as a transitional object and thinking of like that broken like fence that you're describing just reminds me of so many stories he told where he was like I like to play in the dirt I was in the sandbox like just like raw processing so just previous to the pandemic and I think it was maybe even within a week of the official kind of announcement the, the declaration by the CDC but Arthur Robbins presented and Mm -hmm. you were in the audience. I remember it was exciting to see you. A lot of Pratt people were there, um, the regulars, the usuals, but some new people too. And and it's actually something that Art actually uh, called me and asked me to film. I was invited to kind of archive Mm -hmm. a lot of his work, but I thought maybe it might be interesting for listeners to hear some excerpts from that. Do you think this would be a good time to do that or do you want to? I also think that that's something we share. I think we, we were part of his last class at Pratt, which I feel like is so special. So many people did not get to encounter him in that particular way and in that particular time. And I think we both found a lot of inspiration from him and took a lot of the way he practiced and the way he spoke about art into the way we work. And then now I kind of feel like it's coming a little bit back full circle where it's like more of awareness and emphasis on storytelling and lived experience as a part of the teaching process, which I think is very much like Art Robbins process. And let's take a moment to kind of watch some of this video together. I'm in the Art Robbins at Mountainside video that's just up on my YouTube channel. 
at Creative Therapy. You don't have to throw out everything in terms of critical understanding. That has to be your balance in working with energy. And you don't obsess. What you do is reflect very quickly so you're going back and forth. There is a rhythm. And indeed, when you lose your ground, one way of getting back your ground is by breathing and feeling your body. The problem is it's not always uh, easy to know when you've lost your ground. But if you forget about your patient or you go too much into explanations or what have you, here he, here he is just talking about regrounding yourself, which most many, many, many therapists know and, and believe. But how many therapists do you know talk about losing your ground? As he talked about his vulnerabilities so easily, like he just would go there and allow it. I think also he's is education, like being an educator. I think he's always had that lens, right? So that part of that vulnerability is like part of what made him so great as a professor allowing us to see in and that you're you know taking away that hierarchy in a sense and I love to think about him talking about breath and body like noticing your body knowing noticing your client's body because there's you know such a movement of mindfulness right for the past like decade or so like we hear it everywhere in so many different things like mindful coloring mindful uh cbt mindful like everything right and you know while largely that comes from a buddhist perspective i think art robbins didn't name it mindfulness but he was talking about mindfulness he was yeah. always telling us to turn into our breath and look at the body and he just wasn't naming it that way but it's been so interesting as i've went through different trainings throughout the past several years and i'm like oh art robbins was always now, saying that well we're trying to talk about something bigger perhaps it's love that deep acceptance a feeling of oneness in the entire universe there is some kind of subtle connection there between that patient and myself on that level and so I, we move according to where diagnostically the patient is, uh, how uh, we play with it. Sometimes we struggle, it's hit and miss, we don't know. Oh, it's just so nice to hear him talk. Um, it just always feels so good and it's so interesting. I just had this thought as he's speaking about connection, right? And like mm -hmm. loosening your boundaries. I also think about my own personal culture, like as a Puerto Rican, like the differences in culture, his words just like always just bring me to so many different places that I recognize what he's saying in my self and my lived experience. There was a directive in one of our early classes with art. Oh, you're talking about the very infamous class that yes. you've definitely took to heart for years, I which did. makes me feel great about spilling the beans. Just the only directive, I think, was like, what's your response to authority? I don't think there was anything more, anything less. Whatever materials we wanted to use, whatever mm. we wanted to make, however we wanted to do it. And then we got to the processing part. We're all in the circle. Things get quiet when it gets to you. It looked like you hadn't done anything. 
but then you go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> you just took that big bag of beans and just pour, dropped it and poured it. And it went all over that hardwood floor and everyone just gasped, or at least that's how I remember it. This is so long ago. <laughs> and then I don't, I don't recall you getting up to clean it or anything right away. And we talked about it and it was just beautiful. I've enjoyed the impact that it made for you and kind of thinking about that too, like when you're in school, when you're in group, when you're in any kind of communal practice, we're also learning from each other, not mm -hmm. just the leader, not just the teacher or whatever. So that kind of co-creating too, that something that was a gesture of my expression could resonate to someone else so that they could hold it and have it be a part of their expression. But I remember doing that. And I remember being a little nervous. I remember like not really connecting to a lot of the materials and then being like, oh, I, this is exactly what I think about authority. Few classmates did have reactions of like, oh my God, we have to clean it up. Like, can I help you clean it up? Do you need to clean it up? And I was just like, chill. <laughs> like I will, you know, it's just dry beans. I will put them back in the bag, but a few students like really that need to like come to me to help clean up and me being like, I'm good. Like this is a part of the process. And that was a part of their process too, right? The idea of taking up space in that way, because that definitely was more than showing a piece and growing in confidence and taking up space. So the act of taking up space that you have the right to be there you have the right to do right. these things let's take a quick break um yes. before we do one more vignette of dr arthur robbins okay melissa has found creative balance throughout her clinical career through her studio art practice and community arts initiative called open house bk open house brooklyn established in 2010 is a Brooklyn-based community arts initiative that provides affordable pop-up events, emerging artist exhibitions, and therapeutic workshops. The initiative highlights the arts and community. To learn more about Melissa's work, upcoming workshops, and exhibitions, visit melissadiazart.com or openhousebk.org. Glad to be back. I am so loving seeing art again. You know what I mean? Now that he's gone, it's like so nice to be seeing him and talking about him and remembering him. One, in fact, stayed, said very little with me. For two years, for two years, you would come, lie on my couch, say hardly anything, and leave. Uh, I will tell you, I was wondering why I was seeing her or whether she needed a different therapist. But we endured it. Something happened, and then something happened between us. Out of nowhere, she said to me, uh, you know, after this, I'm going for a pizza. And I said, oh, will you get your pizza? And this started a long dialogue on pizzas. And so I became a specialist uh, of every pizza place in the city. And we would talk about different levels of pizza. And slowly she would talk this was the, about He struggled to make connection with a particular client who he'd been working with for, I think he said many years. He was challenged by that. However, they had a connection based on a passing comment of where she was going after the session. She was going for pizza. 
he said. Mm-hmm. You could even hear in the crowd that just a chuckle, like we connected over pizza and then I became an expert in mm-hmm. pizza. And then of course it's what happens thereafter. The rapport builds. I can, that really resonates with me because I feel like I've been in a lot of professional settings where, uh, I'm not the most professional. I I really say what's on my mind. I like to make a lot of jokes. That is art therapy too, right? You're like molding and changing these concepts Mm. of what a hierarchy is and how we meet the other. And I think, again, thinking about Art Robbins as an object relations therapist, like how we make contact. He's always like talking about how we make contact with the other. And I feel like that's the way in. It's not that necessarily, he definitely was not that blank slate therapist. I think also too, having worked with kids and you working with kids, right? Like just chatting about whatever, just finding out. I remember there's times I've made connections with clients by like music, like, oh, what are you watching? What are you listening to? And I think that's a large part of what Art Robbins also talked about and what Winnicott talked about is play and like the play space. And I think your work too, like when you, when you were doing the green screening and the play, that play space. And when we enter that, we're in that transitional space. So it kind of takes out that like expert, expert and patient kind of thing. I know one other thing we have in common is when we were studying, you and I both had our little gift of therapy books by Yalom. Well, I think there's a lot of disclosure that Yalom has in that book. My favorite part of that book is there's a chapter where he's talking about, and the chapters are so short. They were just like little tidbits that you could take in. He's talking about how he had this therapy session and he thought it was so great. He had so many wonderful interventions. A lot of the work he's done, he's also written with his clients and gotten their feedback on their side of things. So anyways, it turns out we ended up talking to the client about what was the most impactful. And they said something like, oh, when you patted me on the back, like, oh, when you laughed at this joke, like it had nothing to do with these wonderful interventions that he thought he was making. Yeah. And I just, I think it was also written very simply. It wasn't like a highly jargon based book. So actually any lay person can read it. You don't have to be a clinician. And I think that was what was really nice about it. But we had so many other Mm -hmm. things to read. And I was reading some of Freud's Mm -hmm. uh, interpretation of dreams. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is like reading Shakespeare in that there's like an Mm -hmm. iambic pentameter to it. And I just like, how do you find the rhythm to read Freud? And so that you're right. You mentioned the simplicity and the shorter chapters, just to get to the point, uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I thank you for actually solidifying what that was and why I still have that book in my library right here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have it too. Um, it was a good, it was a good balance, right? Because he also wrote a huge group theory book that was like very practical, um, mm-hmm. very about working at hospitals and doing group work, very different from the gift of therapy. And I think too, I think, you know, there was also a lot of things when we were in school that we missed out on that, you know, that I was teaching, you know, even people who worked with Art Robbins, like Cliff Joseph, the work of Wayne Ramirez, they were both like really interesting creative arts therapists. Like Wayne Ramirez is Afro-Latino and he started an art truck and it was a mobile art therapy space. Cliff Joseph also before and during his time as an art therapist was always an activist, always a part of activist movements. And I think I'm glad that these things have come to the curriculums more. I'm sad that it's taken 
a while, but I think also reading and learning more about different types of creative arts therapists. Thinking about Art Robbins and Winnicott is what I really think about what I took from Pratt. Like when I talk about, you talked about Winnicott with the, with the scribble technique yes. in my practice, just so what the parents don't really notice or understand in, in maybe a process note or something is that I'm less looking at their, the client's actual rendering of the scribble, although that's what seems to be primary. But when I mentioned that it's the weight of their hand of mm -hmm. choice of material, if they mm -hmm. want something smooth with a marker, if they want the pencil, or if they're opposed to a pencil graphite feeling on a paper and how much of the page they used, what, you know, if they used a color, if they chose gray, there's just so many things, you know, that comes down to this measurement that we're trained. Yeah. I taught art diagnosis for two semesters. It was serious? incredibly hard. Yeah. I, um, I co-taught it. Um, wow. It was interesting. These are a foundation. These are tools in our toolbox. This is not the end all be all. You don't see a specific right. mark and you can diagnose them. Right. right. Like there was a lot coming up about like, I thought we're not supposed to interpret process and products rather than process or products. I always mm -hmm. felt like there's that and there. Right. And right. when right. you can look at the products and have conversations about it or just food for thought, right? Which kind of can lead you in a direction, but it's never the end all be all. It's always about then having the conversation about the work or seeing where the work goes. And, you know, and then in teaching materials, like the materials spectrum of like, what's the most most regressive and what's the like most restrictive materials clay might be not regressive at all and it is actually really soothing so like being able to see how just the way you described how that child made contact with the paper with the feeling with the sensation like looking at all that I think that visual artists always have the ability to go more into your and be more internal. I think mm -hmm. Winnicott also has a quote like that artists are always battling between wanting to hide and wanting to show yourself. Like there's the ability to hide within visual art. It doesn't make sound. It's not really moving. You can really have it contained. And I think there's something to the way the field started, where art therapy started. And I think kind of thinking of it coming off of those psycholytical times and really clinical times. And like, I'm thinking of the conferences being molded uh, after like psychology conferences or something. Um, and a lot of molding after other professions, like less raw and organic and arts-based. Well, I, I don't have to close by saying artworks it was a, was a term that you came up with yeah. uh, because you're right here and thank you. Yes, <laughs> it's official. So, so everyone that listens to this knows that you sent me a text and you're like, Hey, I think I have a name for the podcast artworks. And then two years later, I got you here now. So thank I'm you so for happy. being here. And uh, I am just floored by all the projects you've done over the years and all these new things to come. I can't wait to see you at one of your CEU yes. uh, events. Art does work in therapy and I yeah. hope that people pick up on that from what we talked about today a little. Mm -hmm.